All right, I'm just up here to remind you that the uh, newcomers class is in uh, the uh, student room two, and the uh, new members class is in the resource center. And at this uh, point, we're going to have Jeremy Roy come up and explain to us a little bit about the Dominican Republic. So at this time, I'll have uh, Jeremy come on up and also uh, have his wife come up. Her name is Amy. All right. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. We're thankful uh, to have the opportunity to be with everyone this morning. Um, so in our presentation, we're just going to start with brief testimonies, then do a video and follow that up with a PowerPoint, and then open it up for questions. So I'll let Amy start, and then I'll go ahead with uh, our testimonies. Good morning. Um, is this working? Okay. Um, hi, I'm Amy. Um, just a little bit about myself. I grew up in Spain. My parents are missionaries there. They've been there for about 30 years. So I'm thankful that I grew up under the sound of the gospel. When I was six years old, I remember one night being extremely terrified of the thought of going to hell. Um, I, I guess we were talking about it as a family. I don't remember exactly, but I was petrified and just crying and crying in bed. And I called my mom and we talked through um, what salvation means. And I remember praying with her. I remember it very clearly and uh, being very joyful after that. But as often happens with kids that um, pray when they're young, as the years went by, I, went, I began to doubt because I, I thought I didn't understand everything about the gospel, which I'm sure I didn't at that young age. Um, and I thought maybe I hadn't prayed the right way. And so I had so many doubts for months, but God used his word and my parents' wisdom and preaching from his word to speak truth to me and to show me that it's uh, my salvation is based on Christ's work on the cross and not what I do or don't say and that I didn't need to understand everything that... Um, Salvation comes through faith and repentance in Christ's work. And I knew I had done that, and so I could rest in God's work in my life and his saving grace. And um, so that was around the time I was 11. Um, I was baptized after that, and I love music and um, teaching and children. So I came to the States when I was 17 to study music education. I went back home to Spain for the summer after my freshman year, and I met Jeremy there, and he'll tell you why he was in Spain. Um, long story short, we've been married for almost three years now. We've been living in Allen Park, where he's been studying in seminary. And um, so, yeah, that's my story. So I grew up in uh, Quebec, Canada, and as Pastor kind of alluded to, you know, my name is in France, there's is different. The, you know uh, that name because of the famous arch rival Patrick Roy. So uh, that's <laughs> so I have an infamous name here. But uh, anyway, so I uh, grew up in Quebec, Canada. My dad's a pastor. I'm uh, I'm one of six there, and uh, so I grew up under the sound of the gospel. I heard it all from when I was a little baby until today, pretty much, and. Uh, I can remember as young as being 10 years old, though I had made a profession of faith when I was four, I got baptized when I was seven, as young as when I was 10 years old, I had this little rebellion that started to grow in my heart. And, you know, every child gets disciplined and misbehaves, but I can distinctly remember that. 
that rebellion grew through my teenage years, and I pretty much just wanted to live for myself, party it up, have a lot of fun. That's what life was about, me having fun, enjoying life to its fullest. And uh, I did that through drugs, alcohol, through extreme sports, and then through traveling. Um, And so I wanted to go uh, to business school to make more money, to have more fun, because that's what life was about. So I went and studied international business, and uh, I I had to go study abroad for my international business degree. I had a minor in Hispanic studies, and... uh, the summer before I was going to go study abroad, my dad, um, I guess, Dr. Bob Jones III was touring churches, and he went to the church where my dad pastors. And uh, my dad's sitting across from the table from me. He's like, hey, do you know any missionaries in Spain by chance? He's like, yeah, I do. I know this missionary in this one city. And that happened to be the city that I was going to study in. So he contacted the missionary and... I was planning on going to live with a bunch of Europeans and party it up, never go back to church again. But the next thing I know is I had arrangements made so I couldn't stay with an old Christian couple at a five-minute walk away from a church. So that was really the start of a turning point in my life. Though I didn't really care much for the gospel, I still went to church, I guess more so out of respect for my parents. And uh, so I went to church there, and uh, the teens invited me to play soccer, and I love soccer, so I went. And so that was great. And then they invited me to the youth group, and I was like, yeah, they're nice guys, you know, so I'll, I'll go. And I went, and so the short story is, you know, after a few months, God had been working in my heart, and I, I knew it was going to cost me a lot. I had to give up, you know, living for myself. So I did not want to submit to God. I did not want to repent. But after a few months, uh, in the month of November 2008, I repented. And uh, God was kind to show me that pursuing all the pleasures of this world is just not worth it. You know, you can do the, the greatest thing ever after you've done it, after you've enjoyed it. It's, it's gone. The pleasure is gone. And it's a pleasure that doesn't last. So I'm thankful for God's just showing me that following him is much better than living for myself. And so after that, you know, I figured I was pursuing a business degree for money. I was pursuing that because I wanted to have fun. But then I wasn't living for myself anymore. So I didn't have any more purpose for me. So um, it's not like a business degree is wrong in and of itself. It was the purpose for which I was studying it. Um, so I went to seminary after I finished my college degree. Um, but importantly, uh, before the end of the year, Amy came back from Bob Jones, and I was still in Spain. We met there, and that's where we started our long-distance relationship. And so it was a great year for me. You know, I got saved. I learned Spanish. I met my wife. So God really turned things around for me. Um, and now that I look back, you know, even before I was saved, God was preparing me for the task we're going to do. You know, in the Dominican, they speak Spanish. Many missionaries uh, will have a first cultural experience. Not maybe a first, but uh, haven't had extensive cultural experience before they go abroad. And God has graciously granted us uh, the opportunity to have that already. And uh, so, and also, 
in the role that I'll be taking in the Dominican, I had, I've had administrative studies, which are very important for the role that I'll have directing a Bible college. So uh, that's it for my testimony. Um, I guess I graduated from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary last year with a Master's of Divinity and also with a Master's in Theology. And uh, um, we were looking into missions and got to hear about this particular mission and got burdened for it uh, back in December of 2012. And we look into it doing a missions trip two years ago and uh, God confirmed that burden in our hearts. So now we're going to have a short video. It's about um, eight and a half minutes. And then I'll follow up with the PowerPoint. Thank you. We're the Roys, and we're going to train nationals and assist in church planting to strengthen and multiply churches in the Dominican Republic. In 2006, an indigenous group of Baptist churches, originally planted by missionaries with baptism missions, asked BMM to come back and help them start a Bible college due to their urgent need for one. We're going to help a 30-church association transition from a part-time Bible institute to a full-time Bible college. The Dominican Republic is located in the Caribbean Sea. It shares the island of Hispaniola with the country of Haiti. As to religion, statistics say that about 80% of Dominicans are Catholics. However, there is a growing trend of nominal Catholicism. The other 20% are Protestants, cults such as Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses, and non-religious people. The population is about 10 million people, and the official language is Spanish. The Dominican has the second highest economy in Central America and the Caribbean. In 2007, its GDP per capita was $9,208. Its strengths are agriculture, mining, natural resources, and lately, tourism. In contrast, Haiti is the poorest country in the Americas and has a GDP per capita of 1300 The Dominicans love baseball, and it is the leading sport. Christopher Columbus established the first European permanent settlement on the island of Hispaniola. The country obtained independence from Spanish rule in 1821. Rafael Trujillo dictated over the Dominican Republic from 1930 to 1961. His dictatorship was known to be one of the bloodiest rules ever in the Americas. Late in 1962, the first elections known to the Dominican were held, and democracy became official when Juan Bosch was publicly declared as president. Since Trujillo's rule, the Dominican has been progressing despite government corruption. In 1950, Baptist Missions was the first Baptist mission board to pioneer the Dominican Republic. BMM missionaries were in the DR until 1993 when the last couple retired. The fruit of the pioneering work from 1950 to 1993 was 30 planted churches. From 1993 to 2014, those churches have grown from 30 to over 100 churches. All of these churches are like-minded, but we are going to help a 30-church association in particular. Those church bodies range in size from 15 to 500 people. Here are a few key elements concerning our mission and its need. In 2006, Dominican pastors contacted Baptist Mid asking them for help to establish a Bible college. In 2007, a single Baptist Mid missionary started serving in the DR. Heidi Van Dyke will be our co-worker at the Bible College. Baptist Mid also took some steps so that through Piedmont International University, Hispanic men, among whom were Dominican men, could get a Master's of Arts in Biblical Studies online. 
Four Dominican men will graduate in May of 2015, two of which will be fellow teachers in college with me. We are praying for one or two additional team members to complete the faculty. The need for a Bible college is urgent because there is a lack of pastors. Due to that lack, several churches are pastored by faithful church members without adequate theological training, and some pastors pastor a second church as well. Also, there is need for this Bible college because the lack of theological training has already caused some damage in the churches. Because most national pastors are bivocational, they cannot devote themselves to starting a Bible college. There is a need for missionaries to go help them so that they have someone to be devoted full-time to the college. Además de tener compañerismo con la iglesia local y amistad con los pastores, como se ha sugerido, nosotros necesitamos que un misionero se dedique a tiempo completo a establecer un, un seminario o instituto bíblico, porque nosotros no tenemos una persona que se pueda dedicar ahora mismo. We already have a building for the college. It is in the city of La Romana, a city of about 250,000 people. The building has classes, offices, and a chapel area, but no dormitories. We are working with 30 churches and are going ready to use this building that we already have. However, there is a possibility that another 20 independent churches would join us, which would be a great blessing. In joining, they might add a teacher to the college and would also help financially. We also have two other potential locations for the Bible College. The first is a large building in Santo Domingo, which is now empty because the church that used to meet there outgrew the building. The building would need renovations, but it would be big enough to have classrooms, offices, dorms to fit about 15 to 20 men, 15 to 20 women, and a chapel. Another building scenario is in San Pedro de Macorís. This potential situation is possible due to the fact that one of the lead pastors of the association has a brother who is the general of the army and the right hand to the president. There used to be a policy in which the government granted free land to whoever would use it for agricultural purposes. That policy has been removed, but through connections, the leadership of the churches is appealing for an exception to legally get land based on that policy. Having a big piece of land where they could cultivate the land would allow the Bible College to sustain itself to a substantial degree and give ample space upon which to build the college. Last year, my wife and I had the opportunity to do a survey trip. We visited many churches and met with key leaders. I asked theological questions, making sure that we could work together and that we were like-minded, financial questions as to the sustenance of the college, and asked if we were duplicating another Bible College work. Our conclusion at the end of our survey trip was that there is a great need and God confirmed our burdens in our hearts to go help meet those needs. Our primary focus will be the Bible college. I'm excited about the opportunity I will have to direct the college and also teach students. My primary ministry will be our family and I also desire for our home to be a place of ministry to open it up to the students and to our community. I'll probably also teach music lessons, ladies classes, and do some discipleship in the college as well. Though a lot of our energy will be poured into the college, the entirety of our mission is church-centered. We are sent by a local church, the Bible College will belong to the Association of Churches, and its purpose is to strengthen existing churches and to multiply more churches. We will also be devoted to assisting in a new church plant or in an established local church led by a national. We do not plan on taking on a primary role in a church because the nationals have been successfully leading their churches for over 20 years. 
We make plans, but we recognize that God may change those plans in His sovereignty. Because we already are fluent in Spanish, as soon as we get to the Dominican Republic, our main priority will be to biblically train Dominicans with a high-quality university-level training so that they will be well-equipped for their ministries. We will also join and serve in a local church. We also plan to do an ethnography, that is, a study of the people, during our first year in the Dominican. Lord willing, after the Bible College is up and running, it will keep developing and add a master's program. Although Bible College indigenization is difficult because it is costly, Lord willing, our ultimate goal is for the Bible College to be run solely by nationals. I was also asked by Dominican pastors to develop a program that has a layman level of theological education so that pastors of local churches will be able to teach their congregations. This is a task that I would like to help with in the future. Please pray that God would raise a school to strengthen and multiply His church for His glory, that God would provide two more teammates, and that God would give us physical strength, and that He would guard our hearts for His glory. All right, so I'm <clears throat> just going to follow up now with a brief PowerPoint. Um, really, really, the reason of the PowerPoint is just to help give you an idea of the ministry over there, the churches that we're talking about. Uh, I'll, help you give, I'll help give you a more accurate picture of what's going on. So uh, in the first slide, what you see um, is Amy and I were in front of the national headquarters of the police station and we're not there because we got in trouble right we're there because uh, the head uh, chief police over the whole country was asking to meet with pastors from our association and from different associations of churches and the reason why he was asking that was because the intelligence of the police is corrupt and he believes that true men of integrity so true christians true christians are men of integrity he believed that and that they could reform the intelligence of the police. So we actually had the opportunity to sit in on a meeting, and so we see a picture of the conference room in the next slide. Um, I didn't really have the nerve uh, to take a picture during the meeting, so that's a picture after the meeting. And uh, in the far chair um, there on the left, you see uh, the, the chief of police was sitting there, and on his right-hand side, he had two colonels with him. And though the chief was not a believer himself, his two colonels are. And uh, one of them shared a challenge from Scripture. And the other one told this neat story. He says, you know, I used to be a chief of police in a local, in, in another city. And uh, there was this gang that was overpowering the, the police. And they were wreaking a lot of havoc. And usually what happens with gangs, he explains, is, you know, you kill one or you put one in jail or a couple and five more just come out of, come out of nowhere. And what happened in this circumstance is that one member got saved and then another member, another member, and the whole gang dismantled itself. So the chief, though he wasn't a believer, could see the gospel power and he could see that, you know, the gospel actually does change lives. And uh, in the next slide, you can see that's just pastors after the meeting. So that's one uh, little aspect of a, a survey trip that we did. We did a survey trip two years ago, and um, 
We're going back this summer. I'll be going for more time than Amy. Amy will be going just for five days, and I'll be staying for two weeks because there's a big baseball outreach um, that I wanted to take part in. And so we're just going to touch base with the pastors. It's really been a long time, and uh, just have some fellowship with them, reconnect with them. And so... uh, what I'm going to talk about really is just uh, lead churches. We have an association of 30 churches we're going to help. And uh, of those 30 churches, we have uh, three men who rotate as presidents of the association. And uh, I'm going to talk about those churches then about newer churches. So the first church you can see there is in Atomayor. That's a picture. Uh, and the, the picture that you just saw is the one of their Christian school. They have 700 students. When we were there, they were just uh, finishing, well, they are not finishing, they were building a bigger building that you can see in the next picture um, because they grew out of their building. And actually, this meeting is meeting in a church, in, a, in the school classroom because uh, they're not uh, meeting in their building because they're rebuilding it, actually expanding to a bigger building, sorry. Um, so this church is one of the first church plants planted by Baptist Mid Missions in 1951 or 52. Since then, it's it's planted eight more churches. And uh, what has happened, because they don't have enough men being trained, deacons from that church who are qualified in character but don't have the ideal theological training just took on the pastorate because you had a flock in a city with no pastor and that was really the best scenario that could happen is that they would go and become the pastor. And then the pastor of this church, he took on the pastorate because his own dad died. And uh, he has a postdoctorate in psychiatry and had been practicing psychiatry for a number of years, but took on the pastor of that church. So this really helps give you an idea of why there's a need for a permanent established institution and though since the churches were planted in the 50s, they've had uh, consistent Bible institutes throughout the years in different cities, it's now time to move on to a more permanent institution. And uh, the next city I'm talking about is the city of Bani. It's just southwest of the capital, Santo Domingo. And uh, this church is a very evangelistic church. When we got there, they had also just um, just built a new building and uh, that's the new building they built. It sits around 220 people and because they used to meet in what was their Christian school in the next picture, and they couldn't fit, actually. In. So that's inside the new building, and the next picture is the Christian school. And if you haven't noticed, <laughs> I've had a... I forgot an important thing, and so we're having to deal with the last-minute uh, PowerPoint um help from uh, the team in the back, so I appreciate them very much to coordinate the shift of slides there. Um, so this church has six preaching points in the city, and uh, of those preaching points and Bible clubs they have with kids, um, keep in your mind this city, I'll bring back this city to talk about what's happened with the kids' clubs, <clears throat> kids' Bible clubs. So the, the third city then is the city of La Romana. You saw this building in the video. This is where the seminary is. And uh, in this city, we have a pastor called Pastor 
Ramon Castro, and that's him preaching there. And Pastor Ramon is a very busy man. He pastors this church, another church. His wife leads the Christian school, and he's also a father of 14 orphans. And you can see uh, in this slide, it's not a good picture, but it's a picture of Amy and the, some of the orphans there. And so uh, most men don't have the luxury that Pastor Ramon has to not work a secular job on top of being a pastor. And he does uh, have that luxury, but then he's very busy. And since most men are in a situation where in which they can't uh, just devote themselves full-time to leading a Bible college, that's why they're asking help from us to go help meet that need. And so that's a picture of their Christian school. And uh, next, we're talking about newer churches. Um, so you get an idea. You see the little building in the front and the bigger building in the back. So that church, I think, was about eight years old. And then they built an expansion in the back for another building. And then I said I'd come back to the city of Bani. And the city of Bani uh, has been doing Bible clubs with kids, one of them outside in the gravel in front of that uh, little building there. And uh, what has happened is over a period of about a year and a half, the kids told of the gospel to their parents. And what turned out of this Bible's, Bible club is a church of 30. And uh, they meet in uh, where we have the next picture there. That's where they met two years ago. They rented this place for shelter. That's not after a church meeting. That's just me snapping a picture as we were driving by. <clears throat> and then uh, in this place, I don't know if you can see it that well, there's a little gravel area. Same story. A year and a half, two years, kids tell the gospel to their parents that they heard in the Bible club. And uh, what has happened, what that had led to was a Bible study with about 15 to 20 men. And that was a single lady, a single mom with two teenagers leading that, and she was being helped. From men, uh, from men from the, by men from the church, and so this gives you a little idea. Uh, that's it for the PowerPoint. Uh, if you can skip ahead to the end, I have our website there. If you want to learn, I guess more in detail um, about our ministry. And uh, <clears throat> now I'd like to just take a few moments and open the floor up for questions. If you have uh, questions about our ministry presentation or anything. Concerning the ministry. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm not super qualified to talk about. So the question would be, was if we do get the piece of land that we hope to get to then have that alternative of building the Bible college there and use land as agricultural self-sustenance, then what would we cultivate? Well, I'm not a farmer, but one of the pastors there has a, a degree in agricultural engineering, and he actually lives by doing that. And so he would be the point person I'd go to and say, you know, well trust you to see uh, what would be best for us. And I think, you know, for us, it doesn't make sense too much because we go to the grocery store, but for them, that really clicks, you know, we can actually use agriculture to 
sustain ourselves. Yes. Uh, good question. So the question was, uh, the men who were deacons who uh, went to start those churches because they're a group of believers, what kind of training did they receive? Um, well, that particular church has had a Bible institute. So I don't know who exactly among those pastors has gone there and has not. Um, but they're mature believers, um, know the scriptures well, and like I said, it's not an ideal scenario, but by God's grace, they've been doing a tremendous job doing that. So some of them, I think, have gotten Bible Institute training. And uh, so that, I think, would be the training they have got on top of their secular um, training. They're full-time pastors, yes. They pastor their churches full-time, but they also have a secular job uh, to for self-sustenance because their churches are... Most most don't have... Uh, most pastors have to work a secular job because the churches are too small to provide for their financial needs. Or... I'm sorry... Uh-huh. Um, well, I think they, they see men who are mature and men who would be apt to teach. So they have, they have the, the character and they can teach, but we're saying it's not the ideal scenario. But a group of people who don't have a pastor need a pastor and they do what they can. And they've been doing a great job, uh, but that's actually part of the reason why they need us to go and help to train more men, because they haven't been having that as it should be in the ideal scenario. Anyone else? Yes. So the question was, how is the school, I guess, finance and how are the teachers finance? Well, the two other men who are going to teach with me at the Bible College are engineers. So we're most likely going to teach night classes, evening classes, because they're going to work uh, on top of teaching. And so that's how they're sustained. Ideally, as we go, uh, they'll be able to sustain themselves uh, or the college will sustain them. And the students, most students individually would have a very hard time to pay for 
college, but the, tur- the churches have agreed, you know, that they're committed to the project. So there's 30 churches that are committed. And if someone goes from a church, then the church is behind them to help them if they can't uh, just pay tuition. So we want to make sure that, you know, the people have skin in the game and that uh, they have to pay something, but then not make it impossible so that if you don't have means that you can't go. So, Anyone else? Yes, in the back. Well, I guess if you do, if you do uh, go into the intelligence of the police, there'll be a he- heavy pressure, at least in the beginning, while it's still pretty corrupt. Um, so church members that would go would experience that, I, I'm pretty sure, though I don't know of any personal situations. Anyone else? Going once, twice, Yes. Our housing, yes. Um, actually, one of the things we want to do this trip is have a better idea of where we'd want to stay. What we are going to do is rent an apartment, and uh, we're going to start with that because it doesn't have too many strings attached to it until we have a better idea of where we want to live and how permanent this would be, though we're planning that long term. So that's what we're going to do, and um, yeah. So does that answer the question? Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, it's very prominent. All in the so the prosperity gospel is very prominent. There's a lot of charismatics, and that usually Pentecostals that often goes hand in hand. Uh, that's a very strong movement down there, as in the rest of South America, Central America. All right, um, one last question, no? All right, so right now uh, I'm just going to take uh, about 10 minutes, since that's what we have, and uh, share a brief challenge from Scripture. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about disciple-making, and uh, I'm going to talk about two passages which you know very well, you're familiar with, but they're very important passages, so you can't just tune out since you know them. Um, so we have an image given to us in scripture, you know, about us as disciples. It's a picture of a race, you know, discipleship, the Christian life is a picture of a race. So when we got saved, we started running a race and we're going to run a race until the end, until we meet Jesus Christ, we will get our prize to meet our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first passage I want to talk about is uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And uh, you don't need to turn there. We're going to, just going to use this as a big picture passage to then get us to a passage that talks about a specific component of the Great Commission. But uh, Matthew 28 happens in the context of, you know, where Jesus has resurrected and it's before he ascends to heaven. And in the Great Commission, Jesus has a basis for what he tells his disciples. You know, he has the basis of the authority of a resurrected Savior, one who has died 
for our sins and resurrected and vanquished sin and death. And based on that authority, uh, Jesus says, you know, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And it's not like Jesus didn't have the power. He was already almighty. He already could forgive sins, as we see in Matthew 9.3. He already had done almighty things, like he calmed the sea. But there's something about the extent of his authority that is more complete once he had actually vanquished sin and death. So on the basis of that power, he tells the disciples, you go and make disciples. And in English, we have two imperatives, but in the Greek, there's actually one. It's, you know, make disciples. So that's really the controlling thought of the passage. And I guess we translate go because it's more adequate for the English, but it's actually... In, in the original language that the thought is make disciples. And so how do you do that? Well, first you have to go. And then what comes along with that is that you, once they are disciples, you baptize them and then you teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. And so this happens in the church. You know, we see in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, you know, I will build my church. And then in Acts 1, 8, the disciples go by the power of the Spirit to start the church. And so if we take a quick, if we just would want to have a quick picture of how this happens in the church, how the discipleship, discipleship process happens in the church, well, we have pastors who need to have a certain character qualification, and then they need to be apt to teach. Then you have deacons who are servants who uh, need to meet qualifications, and then us as you know the body of the church, we need to submit to what is taught to us according to Scripture to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, and we try to bring our children up in that way. And so we also encourage one another, we exhort one another. Then individually, we have our devotions where we pray. We read scripture, we repent of our sins, we try to fight sin daily. And so that's how it happens. And outside of the church, we evangelize people, tell them of the good news, and we love one another, try to love them and grow in this discipleship process. And this this discipleship process is something that has to happen in each and every one of our lives. It's not something that's just, you know, for the pastor. It's for each and every one of us. Because the disciples were told, you know, to go and make disciples and teach them to observe all that was commanded. So it's not just listen. It's observe, practice everything that was commanded. So you and I are to take in the commandments of Scripture and practice them. This law of Christ, this New Testament, we have to apply each and every little detail of it to our lives. And then it follows that we have to make disciples because that's also a commandment that's given to us. So we take part in growing and then also the making of disciples. And that can happen in a very uh, organized manner if you know, you're teaching in a church, in a Sunday school, but also just at home, at work, as we disciple or exhort one another or evangelize. And so this is the whole process that's been happening since the church has started, since after Jesus has died and resurrected. And it's been happening year after year after year, and now 2,000 years later, it's still happening. And there's, 
for, for this church to continue generation after generation, there's a key component of the Great Commission that, that has to be there for the church to continue. And so that's our, our second passage that we're going to look at. So if I may, first of all, just expand on my illustration. So you have, you know, believers in a Christian race. And uh, now I want you to imagine, let's say, an Olympic 400-meter race where you have four people on each team with a baton that you pass along to uh, then win the race. And let's say, on the one hand, you have a team that's trained really hard. All four members have given themselves and on the other hand, you have a team that you have three members who have worked real hard and one that kind of cut corners here and there. So as the, the gun is fired, you have the first team, they start the race. You know, the first person runs, sprints, passes the baton to the second, and the second goes and passes the baton to the third, and the third to the fourth, and they finish well. And now on the other hand, you have this team that, you know, the first person starts and runs real hard, passes it to the second, and then second goes to pass it to the third and they dropped the baton or they just weren't running, you know, as fast because they hadn't trained that well. And uh, that's a picture of what can happen in a church, in a country, as the church chooses to either fully uh, follow what was given to them by Scripture or to compromise. So the second passage is in Second Timothy 2.2. Uh, we have there, if you would turn with me, in uh, 2 Timothy, we see Paul is towards the end of his life, and you can see in the epistle that Paul has a sense of urgency for a couple reasons. One, because he's towards the end of his life. He's about to be executed in jail. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, we see that. And then, the other reason is because Leaders have apostatized. And so <clears throat> we, we're we going to read uh, verses, chapter 1, verse 14 of Second Timothy to chapter 2, verse 2, and I'll make a few brief comments on that. So in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, he, had, he was in Rome. He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we can see in verses, in verse 15, many people had deserted Paul. Leaders had apostatized. Then in verse 16, we had some that had stayed for, for instance, Onesiphorus there. And we know also that Luke and Mark had stayed in Timothy as well. So on the basis of what has happened, in, as Paul has explained in chapter 1, many have apostatized, but some have stayed with him. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, You then, 
You know, on the basis of what I've just said, here's a few key things you really need to know and do so that the church continues in a healthy manner. And so we see this first command, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So depend on Christ. It's a passive verb, meaning meaning that we need to depend on Christ as we uh, as we walk the Christian walk. And here talking about transitioning the leadership to other faithful men in the church. And then the second thing is Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, whatever you have heard, so talking about scripture teachings, the gospel teachings, and what was passed on to them by the Lord Jesus and what was inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, these things you must teach to reliable people. And that means men of character. So you think First Timothy 3, Titus 1, talking about the character, and then to men who can teach. So for the, the church to continue on generation after generation, it is vital that the baton would be passed on to a certain kind of men, men who have a character that is found in Scripture, and men who can teach. And so then, you know, what does that mean for you as church members? You know, you're like, well, I'm not, you know, a pastor. Well, you should look at what a leader should be and not allow for the leadership transition to be a leader that's not qualified according to Scripture. And we're not talking about nitpicking on personalities or nitpicking about stuff, but whatever character is found is what should be allowed to be a pastor. And I know not very well, but I know Pastor Ken, I know Hal, and I know these are men of character. And then for anyone who's a pastor, it's a sober reminder of what character qualification you need. And then for us, as we look at what we want to do in the Dominican Republic, that's our goal. That's our goal. We want men who have character. So that's our end goal towards which we'll train men so that have character and will be able to teach. And so how does this happen? Well, it first happens in the local church. You know, you, we grow in a local church. We get to know the word of God in local church. But we've also deemed it necessary over the past 400 years or so to have seminaries and Christian colleges to further train people so that they could teach the word of God adequately. And so that's what we're going to do in the Dominican Republic. And so that is what I had for today. Um, challenge from scripture early. First saying we all have a part in the Great Commission, and then we must ensure that for the gospel baton to continue to be passed on, that the gospel leadership in a, in a church will be passed on to men who are qualified. And uh, on that note, I want to end and invite you to, if you would like to uh, sign up for our prayer uh, updates, our prayer letters, please uh, just sign up, uh, just your email there in the back. And um, we, we covet your prayers. We're humble to know that people pray for us, but we believe that God works through prayer. So we ask you to pray for us. And also, we'd ask you to consider as a church to partner up with us because we need partners in the gospel financially to go to the field. And I thank you for your time. I'm going to end in a word of prayer. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this church who uh, strives to
follow and obey you. I thank you that we have your gospel that you have given to us that we can follow um, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you help us be faithful servants of you today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.